Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by triathlon power couple Brad and Radka Karlafelt. It's not often you meet a couple where both of them have represented their country at the Olympics, but here they are. Guys, thanks so much for joining me. How's your, uh, how's your life at the moment? Hi, Jack. We are good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. So, guys, the main reason I really wanted to get you on is uh, to discuss what happened last weekend at, at Ironman Cairns, where Radka obviously came back after a little bit of time out of the sport and had a really strong performance. And um, and and then I was just thinking about it during the week, and and obviously know that that Brad is is Radka's coach, and 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 thought, I wonder how that dynamic actually plays out. And and for those of you who don't know, Brad being a, a former Australian Olympian in triathlon and and former world number one in the in the short course triathlon game I was really fascinated by a lot of things about your story so could you guys maybe take me back to the the start of that cans build and and then how you both sort of what roles you both play in, in making a performance like that happen uh yeah sure <clears throat> I think like the beginning of the year didn't start very well for me because I was diagnosed with a stress fracture around Christmas time uh femur stress fracture because I was obviously pushing my body a bit too hard to get back to racing after I had Indiana, our little girl. And then when I was recovering from that stressy, I was telling Brad, nah, I, I can't do a full Ironman with two kids, nah. And then he's like, well, you can do just halves. And then we were looking at the uh, race schedule and we were like, oh, there's nothing, nothing around, like time-wise until like, you know, summertime again. I'm like, oh, I don't want to wait that long. So like, well, <clears throat> the only option is Cairns. Port was too close um, to be to be back in full running after the stressy. So we're like, well, let's do Cairns. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then from then on, Brad was in charge in all my training because before that I was just like doing what I th- thought is good. And then he was like, nah, if, if, if you decide it has to be proper, not just like, no, your fun training. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Jack. She she deep down she probably wanted to try an Ironman, but she never sort of thought she'd be capable of doing it, which is crazy because obviously, you know, she's won probably close to twenty seventy point three. He's been gone top ten in the world a number of times at the World Championship, so she's certainly capable. Um, she just had to believe it. So I sort of set some training targets of long rides and long runs, just so she could get through it. And she got through it very comfortably. She was, was quite impressive, actually. So I knew she was very capable of doing it. Kansas is probably the biggest Ironman in the country as far as prize money and, and three kind of spots um, as well. And, and, and the coverage, the crowd atmosphere is amazing. I've raced there as well in the 70.3 and Ironman and absolutely loved it. And just to get out of the cold as well. Like we're we based in Wagga now, so it's just nice to – get out of Wagga where it was 10 degrees and fly straight up to Cairns where it was 25. So it made sense, but um, we had to plan around obviously the girls, um, two girls now, the business um, that we have together, Wagga Swim Hub, which has grown to be quite big um, and everything else that, that yeah, that's, you know, thrown at you in life. But um, yeah, it was, she, there, there needed to be that buy-in from the start and there was, um, it's just um, working out a plan um you know to to execute that that you know 100 percent. and because you guys have had such a history together and like have both been you know at the very like height of the sport for god well over 20 years um is it sort of a relationship where brad you just set the the training and that's the end of the discussion really or is it like how collaborative is it versus how just you know prescriptive is it 
No, like I, I believe, like, I mean, I coach um, other athletes under my coaching business and, and like you have to sit down and, and work through with the athlete what you want them to do and what they are capable of doing and it's working around their life as well because I coach lots of age group athletes. So it's working what sort of fits in with their busy lifestyle with their families and um, their business and things like that. So um, if you set something, you can it, very hard to complete then then what's the point because you're going to fall into a hole which you probably may not be able to get out for for a couple of months so um it's working out based on the lifestyle and, and i knew exactly what radkin needed like some of the athletes um who have those businesses as well so we completely understand so it's just working out a plan that um it's runs as seamless as possible um and um being here and obviously being close and and when we do talk and rad could sometimes would say hey I, like i think this ride on the weekend's too long because i've got such a big day the following day and so we tinker it a little bit and and then we get back to that maybe the following week so um yeah there is um i think a fair bit of input from radka just by the way she feels and also my athletes by just by riding on training peaks like most coaches uh read as well so I, I really love the um, training schedule from Brad, so I usually <clears throat> never complain. I, I love what he writes. I've been, I think the only one where I didn't want to do training was on a Wednesday, I think two weeks out from Cairns. It was like a training triathlon race. And he like basically will do swim, bike, run. But the swim was in the Lake Albert here in Wagga. And it's like, what was it, like t- 14 no, I was it was 14 but, but, but the purpose of that was because you just needed a race you know and and there was no races just it to get pre- a practice in pretty much everything was was finished and um you know she couldn't jump on a plane and go to Europe like she used to or the US or Asia so I did a race simulation with some other athletes here in Wagga pretty good athletes um and we swam in the lake I didn't really tell her it was um 13, 14 degrees. But, I, I um, it, knew you were <laughs> tricking me. But it was a sunny day and she did a really good job. And after that, I'm like, that was perfect because she got off the bike, ran well. Um, and I think she, overall she was pretty, pretty confident after that. So it was so it was something I really didn't want to do because I was like, nah, it's it's silly. I don't need to do that. And then I was really happy we did that because that training day, <laughs> race simulation day, made me to also like look where I have my Tundra helmet, find the disc wheel, like get organized properly and um, like test test out all the equipment. And I, I even took a, like a race belt or everything. So I was like kind of mentally ready. Um, and yeah, it was it was actually a really good fun as well. Basically, she's in she's in race mode for that morning, which which we wanted because she thinks about all the small things you do before race and not really, you know, you don't want to make too many mistakes, obviously on race day. But um, yeah, just because that, you know, lack of races, we 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 did that. I don't think you need to to race too much leading into an Ironman. So I was quite quite confident still she would race well. You don't need to be too sharp. You just need to pretty much numb the mind for a long period of time um, and and sort of put the power down and and you know run run well. Um, so I think I choose a different story. I think you need to race um, quite a quite a bit. Um, I certainly raced a little bit before the season, some smaller races before you sort of hit Malulaba, uh, ITU World Cup and things like that. But, um, yeah, Ironman, I, I find anyways, you have to, um, you don't have to race as much in the lead up. That, that is quite interesting though, that 
Radka, who like I'm pretty sure has been doing triathlon since very the very very early 2000s, like 2004, 2005, and has been yep. to the Olympics and you know is a is a 70.3 champion and, and still like needs some like uh, some race experience before her big race to get ready for it. Like that's quite you wouldn't really think that as like a as a 37 year old professional triathlete. Yeah. Well, but it was like basically two and a half years since my last race. So it's it's been a, a while. And just to get that feeling of a race, it was really, really cool. <laughs> yeah, like Radka, as most people know, um, who, who follow her, she's, and when I, when I first met her, like many years ago, she just loved racing and she was over racing. She was racing. I think, I think she was racing every weekend or, or close to 30 to 35 races a year, which is the most um, in any other professional athlete in the world, uh, triathlete. It was, in, it was insane, but she's doing a really good job. But it was like it wasn't at the highest level. It was very, very close. She could push up to podium in pretty much every one of those races, but we tried to, to, to tinker it a little bit. So I just back her off a fraction to train more in order to get ready for the world championships and 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 race maybe 20 times which you know 10 races less than that 30 still it's still a lot of racing but um it just allowed her to go into some some training blocks and training camps and and you know just to to rest and recover a little bit before the next one instead of jumping on a plane the day after um and then going to another continent and doing another race it was insane it was impressive um um, she still sort of wanted to do it, but um, you know we backed it off to probably twenty races a year, which still, which is still a lot, really. But um, yeah, she just loves racing. Yeah, that is yeah. that is actually pretty crazy. Hey, when did you guys actually meet? I want to I want to sort of get like a little bit more background on on you two as uh, as people. I reckon you can tell that story. It's too done late. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I can tell it. Two thousand eight, actually. Um, I was in is is <clears throat> in uh, Neon in Switzerland. I was training with the Australian um, Trotton Stray camp in in Axler Barnes, where I lived for for ten years. And there was this little hit out, um, probably a couple of weeks before Beijing Olympics. It was a Swiss Cup. <clears throat> the Swiss Cup. Yeah. Um, anyway, I. I I won the race and I was on the podium and, and Rad just sort of come up before me and I sort of had a look and, oh, geez, you know, she looks pretty good. <laughs> and, um, and I don't know, like I tried to talk to her and she didn't really talk a lot of English. I did, but not Aussie English. I just... <laughs> and I, I sort of timed it so I got sort of off the podium and sort of, I don't know, like you'd probably say I followed her. Like I was going to the car park where she was parked as well and I'm... You know, my coach was parked and my training partner was sort of walking over to our um, car spot and I spotted her and tried to talk to her and I just, I don't know, there's something about it and it's like, oh, geez, I, I sort of want to give her something to kind of remember me or, or something. Like I wanted to keep in contact with this girl and I had my check in one hand, which was, was a thousand um, Swiss, Swiss franc. franc notes. Obviously, yeah, they pay you cash in Switzerland and I had that and I had like a banana in, in the other in, hand, in, in, the, in the right hand, and I sort of offered her the banana for some reason. I'm not sure why. I thought, you know, do you want this? Do you want do you this banana? banana? And, and she looked at me and, and just said Looked no and then just walked off and I didn't see her for a number of years and I was just straight away straight away I'm like why would the hell would you offer it a banana like 
you know, but I needed the money. I needed to pay the rent back home and the mortgage. <laughs> and um, I just thought that was stupid. But I actually told that story at my wedding. Um, but it is true. And then uh, the other part of that is that since then, uh, the Czech triathlon and my coach in all around me, we called Brad for a number of years banana man since then. <laughs> It's banana man in Czech Republic. I didn't even know. So everyone was coming to these IT races and kind of smirking and laughing at me. It's, I didn't even know it was banana man. So. so every time I would look at the start list like of the IT races, oh, banana man is racing again. Oh, that is funny. Hey, can I sort of add like a little layer to this that I actually find really funny? And it's got nothing to do with the story you've just told. But the first story, so I'm like a triathlon nut. So I, I grew up following the sport. Um, and then I like, got involved in it a little bit. And one of the very first guys I trained with, Brad, I think you spent a little bit of time training with, um, was a guy called Jamie Huggett. And, um, yeah. yep. and we were training and I was like, and I would have been 17 or 18 or something like that at the time. And, and I just had this vivid memory of him describing you as the fish finger guy. Cause you, <laughs> because at a, at a training camp once, apparently he was just amazed by the amount of fish fingers you ate. <laughs> oh. oh yeah that was i think that was in Ax- axler barnes yeah you could eat lots of widbix as well I, I, <laughs> I grew up like as a teenager and stuff and obviously like most teenagers doing triathlon doing sport you eat a lot and i used to eat a lot um when i was growing up that i'd, I'd actually eat i think my record was like 27 wheat bicks in one sitting after a long ride um, obviously it's, it's changed now um i can't eat as much because you just um you just bulk up but um yeah so yeah brad is, brad right is one of six kids so can you imagine how his mom would be doing the groceries if he <laughs> ate that? bananas fish fingers and wheat bicks <laughs> yeah but i think that was with um the trust Australia camp with Huggy over over in Axler Barnes, but we had everything. We had chocolate croissants and and pain chocolate and uh, escogos and and all these baguettes all day every day after hard training. So it was great and it was great to to hang out with Huggy um, quite a bit. So it was good. Hey, Radka, (laughs) how do you go from being followed into the car park and offered a random banana to to (laughs) marrying and having kids with someone? (laughs) Well, he offered me the banana, but I... (laughs) I obviously knew who Brad Carlefeld was. He was a big deal already back then. <laughs> um, but yeah, I never wanted to talk to him because I didn't understand what he's saying in Aussie English <laughs> until um, was it 2014. Um, we met again at a race. We both stopped doing ITU racing and we met at uh, um, Challenge Bateman's Bay. Yeah. And that was the first time we talked and it was like on a pre-race ride wasn't it mm. and then Brad, everyone was stopping for coffee that's so funny it's like do you want to stop for coffee i'm like why would you stop on a bike for coffee You're like <laughs> you need to like no one in check there's no coffee stops like if you stop you have a beer or something but coffee i'm like well i don't even have money i'm not stopping for anything see you guys and Brad is like well do you want a flat white? So after banana, he offered me flat white. <laughs> and so it was the first time I, I stopped for coffee. I never stopped for coffee right before. And we got talking and I realized this, this guy is a really nice guy. And then since then, we I think Brad gave me his number and we just were in touch. And we, yeah. And then I joined him for a training camp in um, Lennox Head. 
and then I never left. <laughs> it's actually, uh, it's a pretty like crazy. I thought it was. I, I just would have assumed that it would like it happened way back when you when you guys were racing ITU and like you just knew of each other and yeah. But that's I, I didn't expect that to to have happened in Australia when you were both ra- racing long course. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it was pretty much the day before. Um, yeah, Challenge Bateman's Bay. I was going for a ride with my training partners at the time. I think it was um, Clayton Fattel and and I think. Uh, Burks was there as well and a few others, Joey Lampian, and we had a bit of a bunch, but I always tried to position myself next to Radka. <laughs> and I always I knew she I did my research and I knew she she um, spent a bit of time in Germany, could speak German. So I was trying to impress her with my um, bad German. Um, <laughs> and she didn't really understand that well. And so no, it was really hard. Like when you ride next to someone on a bike, it's already like windy and it's really hard to hear. So I was like, oh no. He wants to say again something. I can't hear anything. That's so bad. She couldn't really understand my, you know, my, the Aussie my Wagga accent. So <laughs> I had to sort of talk pretty simple. And uh-huh. at the time, her English wasn't wasn't that good. So um, it's obviously improved a lot where she can understand um, everything now. And you know, but I remember I struggled with the Aussie English because. So you mentioned Clayton, and I I thought like I I couldn't understand him for ages. Anything he was just like so Aussie like uh, I was like no I, I don't know what he's saying hey <laughs> I could actually keep talking about this for ages but let's <laughs> let's get into some training chat so can you sort of talk to me um like how how your guys like sort of relationship in training has progressed so obviously when you first met you were both racing still um how long was it before you guys were sort of like training together and taking like an active um role in each other's training um i think it would have been probably 2014 2015 where we pretty much radka sort of moved to australia um and we spent a lot of time in um, europe as well especially czech so um, it was just easier for us to obviously train together so um i you know took over that role of, of training her and i knew what she needed in order to um, to race it, you know, her best. So I kind of incorporated her sessions sort of into mine where um, we would swim, obviously, similar swim sets together. That's what we needed um, because there weren't too many, you know, if we turn up to um, her hometown in Czech Republic, it's probably smaller than Wagga, so there's not really too many good swimmers there you can swim with. So we swam together. We pretty much did most of the rides together. Um, it would be always like if we would do efforts, uh, Brad would send me off, you know, I don't know but how many minutes ahead and then he would be like chasing me down and I would be working hard so he can't catch me and basically like a, a cat, cat and mouth. Yeah, so so Rad Kids can push to, to try and, um, you know, keep me some distance and I'll try push to, to catch her. And I still actually to this day, like we, we do sessions in, in Wagga with other runners that um, it's out and back. So they sort of um, behind me to start with, we all U-turn and go back and I'm trying to chase them down just because obviously everyone's a different different level and I think it pretty much includes everyone, um, um, you know, in the group. So that's what we did, yeah. We just sort of mix it up and just yeah. so we can um, do similar training and, and not sort of overthink it. Like we don't come back and discuss training all the time. I think that's yeah, um, that's, that's not a good move to, to continually discuss, um, you know, our work. Um, outside of sort of work hours. But I remember when we lived in Newstown, we did those like Wednesdays long rides 
And like, if it was like a tough, tough day out, we, we both knew like if one of us would have like hard day, like I just stopped talking. I don't like, I just stopped talking and Brad knows, okay, I'll, I'll not talk to her because she's hungry and tired. So it's better not to talk. So stuff like that. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm not the biggest talker anyway. When I was training hard, I kind of just concentrate on the job at hand and, and, some people would sort of think I was a bit of a snob or something, but I just focused on what I needed to do and I sort of treated it like a like a job and um you know, I absolutely loved it. But that's how I got the best out of myself and Radka knew that and I knew that about her. If she was tired, she'd just be quiet like most people as well. So, yeah. So get me home. <laughs> and how much has your training progressed through your career in triathlon? Because obviously you guys um, uh, Olympians, like really good short course athletes. Brad, you were the best in the world for a, for a little patch there um, and, and went to two Olympic games. Like how how much of your training is the same back when you guys were sort of, you know, really good in short course versus now where, where Radka's training for Ironman. And I know, Brad, you've obviously trained for Ironman and, and uh, are the one giving Radka the training program. So what has the progression in your training been or is it is it actually still pretty similar to what it was in the, you know, the mid 2000s yeah yeah like it's the same but it's not obviously you know when you go to long course you back to swim off like i was swimming um, roughly um 30k every week racing itu um in order to make an itu first i had to swim i was swimming like 80k a week i was just because I, I was a non-swimmer i was i swim like a rock i was terrible so i had to swim um a lot of kilometers pretty much every day in order to get that swim up and finally once it reached the level where I thought I could use my bike in the run and um, I backed it off to 30K. But, you know, that's obviously changed a bit because racing long course I probably would be probably just under the 20K, probably 15 to 20K a week. And then the ride's obviously a lot more. So um, you, don't, you just don't need to swim, I don't think, 30K a week for, for long course. And then, you know, the ride I had to really work on coming from ITU, um, which – um, spending time on the TT bike um, was quite different, obviously, because I never really in my career, uh, ITU, um, jumped on a TT bike because I didn't really have to. Um, I think that's the biggest difference to just go from ITU to long course is the bike. Like you need to be so strong on the bike and, yeah, comfortable on the TT position, in the TT position. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest change for for me, for sure. Yeah, and and then... And then the runs, obviously, you know, racing ITU, I'd, I'd, um, you know, that's pretty much where you win or lose a race, right? Like in the run. So I was, I was running close to 100K a week. Um, I'll do double run days probably on a Tuesday, um, Thursday and Sunday um, with a lot of intensity. Like I'll do track sessions on a Tuesday. I'll do fart leg and hills on uh, Thursday. Um, semi-long run in the morning which would be close to 20k and then back it up in the afternoon with a solid fart leg um, a lot of that was at sort of 250 to three minute k pace um, with obviously very easy recovery in between so that's I certainly didn't do that doing long course because um, it just kill your bike leg so I've backed that right off to probably two solid sessions running but um, ITU yeah there's like you just need to get the k's in but saying that i still race well um for a number of years like um, i was still doing probably 60 70 k and racing really well um so i'm not sort of saying it's everyone needs to do 100k you can certainly get by on probably 50 if it's high quality work 
Um, but with ITU, I think as well that, that most people need is, is just that group dynamic like you need to train with other good athletes whether it's runners um, like I trained with Michael Shelley towards the latter part of my career on the Gold Coast um, when he was running you know winning Commonwealth Games marathons and stuff like that I'll just give him a call and say hey mate do you mind if I um, come train with you and, and Courtney Atkinson was actually doing the same so you know Courtney and May trained with him on a Tuesday I was sort of with Thursday um, with Michael and we pushed really hard I tried to keep up with him for as long as I could and I just found um, I just went to another level there because he's just such a good good runner I was just trying to trying to hold his um, his um, his pace most most of the day on on, the, on that Thursday so yeah that's that's the thing that changes so just that intensity and, and more bike and getting used to the TT bike and less swimming. There's a few things I want to unpack there like but obviously I, I have to unpack the 80k swim week. Is that like you literally would swim 80k a week? Yeah, I would. Um, I, I was like obviously from Wagga and there was no indoor pool in Wagga and pretty much all Wagga triathletes were, were renowned for, for being non-swimmers, right? There was no one that could that could swim that well because we didn't have an indoor pool at the time. I got spe- special permission to swim at the, the army base, which um, was, was actually – um it was okay like we had to jump in the water at five o'clock and it was a half an hour drive so it was a very early start you know um and then um you know i did that for a number of years then i sort of realized hey like um you know i i need to move away and i need to um to, to move where there's an indoor pool and and then at the time I was doing duathlon because I couldn't run and went to a couple of du- du- duathlon world, sorry, I couldn't swim. And I went to a couple of duathlon world championships and really enjoyed it. But at the same time, I'm like, geez, I want to go to the Olympics. I want to go to the Commonwealth Games, World Cups, World Champs. And obviously the biggest sport is triathlon. So I um, moved to Jindabyne when I was quite young, um, met up with um, Brett Sutton um, and trained with a lot of those guys Um day in day out and sort of Sato taught me that hey like with your run leg you can certainly um you can make it in the sport um but you, you know you swim like shit basically like you're <laughs> terrible you're ugly stroke um <laughs> surprised you even um floating on the water like it's it's, it's disgusting <laughs> he just gave it to me and and he pushed me incredibly hard um called me every name under the sun and and I was swimming some of those sessions to be honest like I would I'd finish a run set and he'd go straight. He'd tell me go straight to the pool, the little tiny pool in Jindabyne, and he'd say, "Keep your running shoes on, keep your run shorts on. You're going to do 10k now. Jump in the water, let's go." Doing 100 hundreds, and and at the, at the time I thought he was crazy, um, but secretly I absolutely loved it because um, there was someone out there that was probably as crazy as what I was, like thinking like if that's possible, and I did it and. Um, he kept pushing me and and then um yeah like my swim got a little bit better and it was around i think the 98 when we're training over in switzerland we kept it up um i was still swimming three times three times a day i was um just to just to get through it and um but something at that time had to give and that was the bike and the run a little bit just because i couldn't keep you know the mileage up and the intensity up for them i was still training bike and run but it was just um I just couldn't sustain it. It was, um, you know, my shoulders were starting to blow up. And um, so I sort of started to back it off a little bit. But in the end, yeah, after Montreal Worlds where I had a stress fracture, I decided to go my own way and and I just kept the the mileage up around the probably the 50 or 
kilometers a week, pretty much solo. So I'll just jump in and every week I'd do a hundred hundreds and I was just desperate to, you know, to make it in the sport. I'd do anything to, to, to get that swim up where I could get out in that, in that front group. And I think it was around the 2000 mark. I was over in WA at a TA um, elite race and I finally made the front group and I was just like in that front group. Like, oh my God, this feels so good. And I was so excited and I was sort of, pushing on the front of the bike a little bit and I was like this is great feeling I've done it I've made it got off and, and ran like shit <laughs> like the, the only run I've ever had so bad and I was just so frustrated after that so um changed a few things and um yeah I, I didn't feel, feel as though I sort of had my time at you know that really high mileage in the swim um I finally sort of knew what I need to do to to keep it at that sort of 40 to 50k even and 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 sort of make it you know use my rum and, and and the bike as well so it, it took some time but you just had to be patient um it was pretty ugly sometimes as well and you know we did some crazy stuff with Sato in the water but um he certainly made me believe that that anything's possible this is um this is quite crazy like i think every <laughs> triathlete has uh, like some stories like some crazy stories to tell like no triathlete has really had like this this career that's been boring where like crazy things haven't happened to them and like swimming 10 or 10k in running shorts and running shoes might be one of the weirdest stories i've ever heard and i've heard quite a few yeah he just wanted to get me strong and he just i don't know he just wanted to to, to make me believe that hey you can you can you can swim 100 100s in your running shoes why not just gonna instead of the pool boy just put your running shoes on which i had the big heavy training it was just a like it was a long run before it or something so i had the the asics kayanos on and, and the, the bigger run shorts and and went at it it's at, at the time i thought that was pretty normal and that was just one of the little things i had to do in order to to try and make it in the sport and i didn't really know 100 if i was going to make it if my swim was ever going to get better but there's only one way to try right and that's to jump in and just pretty much swim all day um yeah i was telling brad he should write a book about it like all just just a training with brad sutton <laughs> that would be just amazing because usually when we have a fire bucket and i have a few drinks he just brings all these stories out and everyone just like can't believe it what what he did and yeah yeah so like i learned a lot there there's is a lot of it was that group dynamic you know we had some of the world's best athletes who i was keeping up I, I felt like I was a junior and I'd, I'd, I'd just keep up with them for some of these sessions and they would go away and it was you know they would get top three in the world cups like they'll go to Sydney world cup like Greg Bennett would go to Sydney and Jan Rahula and, and Trent Chapman and all these guys would be like one of and Andrew Johns they'd be like some of the best athletes in the world and and that's when I really started to believe that hey like I can I can make it here because, geez, I've just done a, a track session with them on Tuesday and I sort of kept up for, for most of it. So I think juniors coming through really need exposure to to some athletes who they kind of look up to and can mentor and stuff like that. So it's so important for these up-and-coming juniors to to have that or even someone to talk to and because they've been there as well. Um, so I, I just found that very beneficial um, as well and also my other coaches as well. Like I was with Bill Davron for, for quite some time um you know probably eight years and, and learn a lot there as well and we sort of work together on putting a plan in place and a lot of the europeans that come across as well from europe um 
you know, every year, every winter pretty much, instead of going to South Africa, they they, they tended to come to the Gold Coast to train with us and um, they, they learn a lot and we sort of fed off them as well because their, their training is a little bit different to ours. But, um, yeah, it's just making the most of the opportunity. I've got a few questions there, but something, a really niche question that I want to touch on that this might be boring to, to everyone, but you just mentioned Bill Daverin, Brad, and I've actually wanted to ask someone this question for so long um, because Bill Daverin was a pretty big name in like Australian triathlon there and, and yeah, like um, coached you, coached a, coached a few guys. Um, and, and again, I've been told by some people that that like the Bill Daverin years were, were probably when you were at your best. Um, and I've always wondered that. And then he got a job at, at an AFL club here. The, I think it was the Magpies. And, and he had a really bad reputation there. Like I'm pretty sure he ended up getting fired. And, and I've, I've heard nothing but negative things in the AFL world about him. But then on the other hand, I've been told by people in triathlon how good you were, particularly when you were coached by him. Can you sort of um, clear that up for me a little bit? How like how was Bill as a coach and, and, and tell me a little bit about him and you, yours relationship. Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. Cause I, I moved from Wagga, um, like I spent some time in Jindabyne, as I've said before, and I needed to go to a place where it was a little bit warmer and a, and a, and a good group to train with. So I went up to um, the Gold Coast and Craig Walton was just finishing up with Bill pretty much after the Sydney Olympics. And so I've sort of come up to jump in and Bill just wanted to test to see where I was at and whether, I'd be sort of, uh, I guess he would sort of welcome me and the whole team would, would want me to train with him. So I went up to train with Bill and um, like he was great from the start. Like he was, um, he was so knowledgeable and obviously um, coaching Craig Walton and, and a few others um, and also had a lot of Ironman experience as well. So there's lots of um, uh, that group dynamic was, 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 was quite a big group, but it was also, um, you know, some short course guys. And I think Luke McKenzie at the time was there, Emma Snowsill. Um, so we had a nice little group there training in Southport pool and, and Kumava, uh, for the run. And, um, yeah, so we just basically sat down and worked out a plan. Well, actually to start with Bill worked the plan out. And then as, as the years went on, he sort of certainly listened, um, you know, to my input and um, we just worked really well together. Like he was an outstanding coach. Like he said, certainly helped a lot of, a lot of other good athletes as well. And um, I think after Beijing, he wanted to, wanted to change. Um, he was a high performance director for a little bit, but he wanted to change and went down to Melbourne. I think he tried to um, get those guys, the footy players really fit, you know, did the fart licks and stuff. And I, I don't think that was well received down there as, as, as it should have been, but um, each to their own. And I think um, Bill sort of moved on to another job and is doing a really good job. So at the AIS, so um, yeah, no, that's the time with Bill was, um, you know, I, I have fond memories of it and um, I learned a lot actually myself in, in the way I coach, um, you know, based on what, what sort of Bill taught me. Yeah, I always wondered that. I, I, I assumed that that what had probably happened was that that Bill had brought the triathlon mindset to a sport that doesn't have that mindset. That's what happened because he was doing, you know, he'd bring him in and he'd sort of look at the game and say, you know, some of these these players were, were sort of falling apart um, after the third quarter and he's like, well, you know, there's one way to fix that. It's to get out and let's, let's run or, or swim or, you know, jump on the exercise bike and, do some sessions and that's that was his mindset and he tried to convert them to do that and I think for a couple of seasons he did and they got fitter but I, I think you know the coach may not have um, agreed with him and I think 
they butted heads a little bit, and 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 that and that was it. But um, he's moved on, and he's he's really successful. And I, I talk to Bill, um, you know, a lot now. And every time I go to Melbourne, I, I try and catch up with him. Just you know, talk about that Com Games in Melbourne as well. Like mm-hmm. I could see him. You know, he's come out on the road when I've attacked um, from from Robbo and and a few others, and I could just see him just get pumped up and. He was in tears to the before and after the race. You know, he's just so passionate about it, and that's what I love. Um, we had a, some good success, um, you know, together, and um, I just think it's yeah, I never forget that. And and given your background, Brad, where you talk about you know like doing the the ten k with your with your running shoes on and and some other massive sessions, um, and and then you sort of said that you you hold that more old school uh, uh, training mindset to triathlon. Do you ever prescribe those sort of like, I don't know what we call them, like hero day sessions where, um, for example, someone goes and runs 70K in a day or someone, you know, swims 10K fully clothed with their shoes on. Do you ever prescribe them <laughs> given that you've been through them and, and grew up in a system where you saw them taking place? Yeah, no, like every athlete's different, but uh, I, I don't like to prescribe um those massive days just because it's i know it's it's risky and i've had athletes who have done like massive rides they've done sort of 250 to 300k rides and they've pulled up injured from it or sick or something so it's it's it comes with a great risk and like i i didn't mind it but um at the same time i did some big days and i got some stress fractures and i got pneumonia three times and almost died from 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 my first bout of it so i learned a lot from that I don't think we need to be heroes in training. We need to be heroes in the race. Um, you know, we certainly um, train to race, not race to train. So um, I just think that athletes need to train hard but not go over that line. As soon as you go over that line, you, you can get a risk uh, injury and illness and um, have that setback. So it's just being consistent through week after week after week and it, it can be repetitive and can be boring, but that's where you get the best results, I think. So, um, you know, some athletes might want to experience them in 10K and, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've trained one girl here in Wagga who's got a lot of potential and she may need to swim 10k just to know hey it's possible or, or Radka might oh no me. Annabelle is listening <laughs> right. or Radka might need to ride over 200 to say hey it's possible I'm only riding 180 now at, at Kona like she never thought she could time trial at 180 until I gave her 180 in training and all of a sudden she's like shit okay I've done that and I actually felt pretty good I'll come mm-hmm. home and I ran off the bike and I was running four minute K pace and it felt quite easy. So, yeah, but then the family has no dinner, so you don't give it to me. Then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then I've got a, a, a grumpy wife or something. But um, yeah, that's very rare. But um, yeah, sometimes you need experience, and, and certainly some sessions that I've done, as we talked about before, like I've done thirty k track sets in Jindabyne in tracksuit pants in thirty five degrees with no water <laughs> with some of the best athletes in the world. We weren't allowed to drink, um, and I've done that. And I was running back with, um, I don't know if you remember, Lou Carrop, the late Lou Carrop. And yep. we were running back sideways to the combination, um, just trying to get home because we were so exhausted and we weren't allowed to drink. It was crazy stuff like that. But I got through that and it actually made me a stronger athlete because I was like, shit, I've, I've just done a 30K track set plus warm-up plus warm-down. I've pretty much done a marathon. Like anything's possible right like so it's nice experiences every now and again but i don't like to to um you know to, to dish it out too much <laughs> and to bring this sort of back to one of the main things i wanted to talk about i think this is actually pretty good to get an idea of what you've been through and 
and what sort of formed your, you as both an athlete and a coach. So you've been coached by two of the great coaches in Australian triathlon. Um, if you if you look at results in Brett Sutton and and, and Bill Daverin, um, and now you're sort of in your forties and and have a coaching business and and obviously the performance Radka's just put in on the weekend, which was probably. I'm very, I'm a very big Radka fan, but probably even exceeded what I thought Radka was going to do at Cairns. So, how would you describe your coaching philosophy? Like, what what is it that actually makes your training your training? Um, well, it's just that experience of training with those athletes. So it's more, I think, I would say more old school. You just got to do the work, but at the same time, you have to really listen to the athlete as well. You know, you don't want your athlete um, constantly injured, so it's always listening. I'm not always right. Like the athlete can be right sometimes, but it's so important for the athlete to listen to their bodies. So it's just a blend of all the coaches that I've been with. And as I said, you know, I started with Sato, who at the time was pretty brutal um, on myself and a couple of the other juniors in the group. But I learned a lot from that. Um, and I, I, I grew as an athlete. Um, and with Bill, he certainly um, took me under his wing and, and kind of, um, nurture me. I, I, I guess you know, moving up to the Gold Coast was a big move from from Wagga, and um, certainly listened to me. And we worked out a plan on me staying injury free and illness free because I also come through with three times I had pneumonia, so I was getting sick quite a bit because I'd kept pushing my pushing my body, and I was just. I think Bill sort of, you know, had to sort of hold the range pretty tight. I think some sometimes because I just kept pushing, pushing, pushing until finally you get it right. Like you can't push your body, you know, when you started starting to get quite sick. So um, I learned a lot from him, but that's, that's, you know, if you throw everything in the bucket, all those sessions that I've learned or I've done over, over the years, over the 20 years, and I was sort of pulling out sessions here and there based on who I'm coaching. And I know Rake very well. And I knew in Cairns she's going to do a good job, you know, in all, in all honesty, I actually thought she'd do a better job, but um, she wow. started cramping at the 10K mark on the run, so she couldn't she couldn't use a run. Like she's going out for runs, averaging four minute K pace before just talking and laughing, you know, for 34K. Like she's certainly got potential to race well over the distance. Um, I think it was important to get that one under the belt because, um, you know, you try and describe that pain you go through it you know, after 30K and you can't really describe it, right? You go to a dark place and you just got to hang tight and the one who gets through it the best is is the one that's it's going to, you know, come away with a result. So um, she's experienced it. She knows what to do and which makes it quite exciting. Um, she's got obviously another big block to do before Kona. Um, she races well in the heat, but, um, you know, I think she's still got a lot to learn over that distance. So. And Radka, in this build-up to Cairns specifically, um, can you sort of take us inside a little bit more? Like what, what were your weeks actually looking like? And then, and then on top of that, can you maybe give me your take on, on Brad as a coach? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. So I would say the, like the core of the weeks was the, like same, but every week we would add a little bit like further, let's say a longer ride on, on a Saturday. So it would be like, um, Monday would be gym and swim, and then Tuesday would be um, treadmill, like some fart leg, and then afternoon would be a two-hour bike ride, just nothing crazy. Then Wednesday would be a longer, longer ride, around like 100K with 
time trial efforts and a swim. Uh, Thursday would be a Thursday fart like with a group. Uh, like Brad was saying, it's so much better to run or train in a group. So I, I like both. So I think training by yourself makes you mentally strong and it's really important to know how to train by yourself. But also I was really looking forward to those group sessions. So Thursday was, I didn't even count as a session. It was like a social thing. Thursday fight, like you smash yourselves, but mentally you are really fresh of it. We're actually fighting with Brad who goes to the Thursday f- session because he likes that one too. So, so only one of us can go. <laughs> the other has to stay with the kids. Uh, now because I'm recovering from um, Cairns, Brad's turn to do the part like on Thursday. Uh, so that was there. And then Thursday morning, fart like afternoon, uh, another ride, I think. As, yeah, another two-hour ride. And then um, Friday morning, swim and afternoon, like a two to three-hour ride. And then Saturday was crucial Saturday. It was basically starting from 100k ride on, and then every week we would add like 120 next week 150 the week after 160 and then the last I think four four weeks was 180 with like specific time trialing. So it was a big big Saturday. We'd uh, late later we would add a run off the bike. Um, and I swim in the afternoon as well, which usually would be just with a pool boy because I would have sore legs. And then Sunday long run, which we couldn't do too early because I was still on a return to run program from, um, Brad Beer. So I, um, I had like a specific gym session from Brad Beer twice a week later, just once a week to, to make sure my legs were strong enough to start running and um when I was ready to run it'd be like well the return to run was like you know how you return it's like one minute run one two minute walk and then slowly we were building it up to when I could do oh one hour run that was like exciting and then slowly progressing into you know 20k run 25 and then my longest was 35 in a in a pretty solid solid pace uh and i would run that either with brett's brother because obviously brett had to have the kids so i would run with jared uh or i would have brett in the car with the girls with me or annabelle my training partner she would ride next to me on the bike so again really good fun actually i would take sundays as quite easy days because it's just it was just the long run and then the rest is time for the family <laughs> yeah and so inside of that um how often are you and brad specifically talking about your training like in a in a block leading up to cans like one of your one of your few like main races for the year does it start to dominate conversation like the closer the race gets like sort of like 10 weeks out might might it just be sort of not really talked about that much and then four or five weeks out three weeks out all you guys sort of seem to be talking about is your training and how you're feeling and how it's going, or do you still really manage to like compartmentalize everything well? And when it's training time, it's training time, but when it's not, we, we don't really talk about it. Yeah. I would say, um, we just, 
Brett gives me the program. I just read it and I do it. And then after we have a, a short debrief, so he knows like how the session went. Um, if good, all good. If if something we need to adjust, we change a few things, but we don't really talk too much about it. I just, I we don't even put it in training picks anymore. <laughs> we have a, like a big sheet of paper and Brad will write it down a piece of paper and then I just I just follow it and yeah like I said if if let's say we would have a really bad sleep with Indy being sick and I can't even get up that that happened only once in the whole preparation we had to swap long bike ride for a long run day and just that was the only little twist we had to do otherwise um it went really uh, well now with the different perspective when we were saying we had no kids and no business just training we would maybe I would overthink training and I would be like oh my god this afternoon is this big swim with JR and stuff I'm gonna do that now it's so different now it's like I can't wait to do this swim because it's going to be just my time for my training no um, stress around the kids so it's it's different thinking so we, we basically um, yeah who has the time for the training has like that's the treat and then, yeah, the other one has the kids. And I mean, it's a treat to have the kids as well, obviously, but a different one. It's mentally sometimes a bit challenging, but yeah, it's, it's just a different mindset. And how has your training changed since you were, you know, racing for, for the Czech Republic in, in short course racing to now being coached by Brad, who's, who's more the traditional Australian system and, and you're training for long course? Has it, has it trained much or is it, has it been pretty similar the whole way through? Um, I, it's changed a lot for sure. Like, like Brett said, I was racing a lot. It's the Czech funding was, wasn't great. Uh, I think it's a little bit better actually now, but you, I had to race to earn my like living and, and everything. So I actually loved racing so much because I felt like it's easier than to, to smash myself week by week in training. So because for race, you just do a little tra- taper after the race, you're tired and then you just have a couple of days of training and then you go back again into racing. But yeah, it's changed a lot for sure. But it's also changed a lot since we had children because uh, there was no, there's no time for junk mileage, really. Uh, no more coffee rides either. So <laughs> I, I have changed to do lots on um, wind trainer or treadmill because it's, you can you can do so much more on a on a wind trainer or, or treadmill in a shorter time period. So that I've started that with when we had Ruby and we have seen like huge um, improvement. I think. Yeah, I, I'm actually I, I'm like really interested in that because one of the big trends in triathlon lately, which I think like I personally think long course triathlon is the best it's ever been by quite a bit. I don't think short course, I think short course has been good for a long time now, but, but long course triathlon seems to be going through this real era of change where the good people are, are really, really good. And it seems to have coincided a lot with, with people adopting indoor training. I reckon like a guy like Brett Sutton, who you mentioned, he's been doing that for forever and, and really like strongly believes in it. And, and you look at the way like people like Chrissy Wellington or Daniela Reef have, have always outridden the girls that they've they've raced against and and that's been like a fundamental part of their training. Whereas now with the Zwift era and and the, the kicker era, everyone's doing it. And 
if you look at the bike riding, like it's so crazy strong right now. Like you have to be such a strong time trialist to compete in long course triathlon. So that's interesting to hear you say that you you feel like it it, it does make you stronger training indoors. Have you guys sort of noticed that shift as well? And is is that a, also a reason why maybe you've decided to to start training like on the on the trainer a little bit more on the bike and, and on the treadmill? Well, I, I've done it just just purely to save save some time or also to be able to train while the children are asleep. But you know, I, like with with the training on the trainer, I I could definitely tell the quality because it gets really boring if you just do an easy spin. If you have efforts written down, the time goes much quicker. So I think that's that's the key. Like you go quality if you're on a trainer. Um, so I think that's that's the key. Yeah, I, I think Jackie, it's it's just more bang for your buck. You know, you jump on the wind trainer, and a, a lot of people are time poor, especially age groupers who who I train. Like they have to get off the bike and go to work basically at you know eight o'clock. So they jump on, they do like a twenty to thirty minute warm up, and they get stuck into it. You know, do the do the session like which is um, a fair few efforts, and then warm down, jump off, go to work. So it's more bang for your buck. I think the treadmill I find works really well with some athletes that I've coached. And I had Emma Moffat on a, a treadmill, um, you know, probably a couple of times a week, you know, when she was racing um, really well. And I just think it smooth, smooths out the runner. Um, it's soft surface, obviously. It's um, And it's just it's just a little bit easier as a coach to, to keep track of them as well because um, you can obviously stand beside the treadmill or, or come and go, um, you know, I, I might come back and forth to, to Radka when she's um, in the shed doing a treadmill session um, and then come back halfway through the efforts and then go back to the girls and then go back mm-hmm. to Radka and stuff like that. So I think if you're time poor, um, I think um, the wind trainer is great and I think COVID's changed that a fair bit actually where every man his dog's jumping on Zwift and, and getting stuck into it and I think it's great. I think it's a great training tool to have, especially when you can go for a ride with your mate um, around Hyde Park or, or whatever in London um, or in Paris or, or wherever. I think that's pretty cool um, and it's kind of changed the game a little bit. But I think um, a lot of those athletes and Saturday is obviously, you know, getting back to Saturday, he is the wind trainer a fair bit. Um, but um, I certainly love it as well. Like pretty much all my athletes do at least one wind trainer a week and I just feel as though um, it's just that more bang for your buck and they can get on, push hard and then shower, go to work. So um, I think it's a great training tool. Yeah, and now in winter, like it takes me half hour to get dressed for a bike ride in, in Wagga here. So many layers. But in the yeah. shed, you just, you know, go go with normal shorts, which which is great. And I can also catch up on some podcasts while i'm riding indoors which is great too yeah we love it we love it in the podcast game if people train inside (laughs) a question i asked brett when he came on the podcast brad was like why do your the the girls you coach seem to be so much stronger on the bike than than other girls um which has historically been like his thing really um and he said that he just thinks that every time you ride a bike, it should be hard. Like you shouldn't, he doesn't really believe in easy riding so much. There should be some, some thing inside that ride that's not just easy. Um, and I guess that, that sort of speaks to what you guys were just saying about being inside on the, on the trainer is that pretty much everyone tends to do like sessions or races or they don't really just like, it's rare if someone just sits and spins on the, the kicker for three hours or for two hours. So do you sort of have that same philosophy where 
when when you're prescribing your your bike training that that it has a lot of quality in it or do you still think there is space for you know a 90 minute two hour easy ride of three or four times a week type thing yeah i think you, you jump on and, and get it done like um my athletes would at least do twice a week of really hard cycling like tts um and some even my itu um athletes which i don't have too many at the moment but they would do a lot of group rides and criteriums i think that's imperative they 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 do that because they need to experience a ride in the bunch you just can't be on the wind train the whole time because obviously you know these itu short course races the criterion there could be eight loops 5k and stuff like that so um uh, yeah so i just think yeah, it's 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 such a good training tool, um, and I think Sato, like I don't know what he really does um, with the with the long course athletes, but as you said, they they do a lot of intensity. I'm I'm not surprised. Uh, Riffy rides incredibly well, and all these athletes are riding amazing. So even Nick Luck, we saw a couple of weekends ago, ride really well. She was in a bunch, but um, on a road bike, on a roadie, and, you know, yeah. she's, she's so strong on the bike as well. So. Yeah. Hey, hey, Radka. Going forward, do you see yourself as like a as a an Ironman world champion? Is that where your head's at? Like, is is your goal right now all just about winning Kona, or or what what gets you up in the morning to to want to train every day? That's a funny question because just before Keynes, I didn't even think about like qualifying for to Kona. Like, Brad was saying, oh, it's top three, and like slots and i'm like don't even talk about it i just want to do do the race <laughs> and now we're talking about world champion well i i'm really excited about kona because i feel like i didn't give all my like 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 brett said i i didn't get to run my run i wanted to in cairns because I, I yeah i had to run really controlled because i feel i was feeling my quads are getting into cream so i I would love to just perform my best run I could do in, in Kona, what I'm training at the moment. Like I should run probably 20 minutes faster than I did in Keynes. Um, and well, we'll see where this time gets me, but I know the the conditions, the weather, it's it's so different, the air. But I think I, I could be good in this distance, but I will not say what what the, yeah, what the goal really would be. It's It's way too early. But it definitely will be getting me out of the bed for for some solid training again. I was telling Brad, we can just take all the papers you wrote and just copy it for Keynes. He's like, nah, it's not how it works. But I know he has a plan already. So yeah. pretty excited. Well, that's, that's the next thing I was going to ask is, Brad, what is going to be the plan leading into Kona? Like, and and maybe even more than that, do you see Radka the, the – like, as a future world champion, do you think Radka has what it takes to to win Kona, say this year or next year? Um, oh, look, it's it's early days, Jack. It's it's but overall, yeah, I like I see her as she's got lots of potential. We've seen what she's capable of in the seventy point three space, and and that's been quite impressive. Like the amount of races she's she's podiums, um, she's you know her swim, bike, and runs all all quite even and quite solid so certainly got potential to to race well in Kona um it's still early days like we, we haven't started the prep she's still recovering from cans and um but yeah look she's got potential to go top 10 for sure um she enjoys racing in the heat 
um, always raced well in the heat, like races like Cebu and all through Southeast Asia, she's raced really well. Um, where it's hot and, and Central America, she's raced well. And I just think um, she needs to be patient and, um, you know, follow those experienced girls. I think that's the, that's the crucial thing with Kona. You can come charging out pretty hard and um, fall the bits on the Queen K, but I, I think um, she's certainly capable of having a really good race which is quite exciting but um she will be coming out which is a factor as well um she will be coming out of a walk or winter which um which is not ideal so we will um put in a few things in place um more so to help her cope with the heat and that's probably um you know some saunas uh, weekly and also training in like a like a heated room basically like we'll probably heat our shed up for the treadmill on the bike so she will be exposed to high temperatures for that which is something i've already thought about um obviously ideal like back in the day we'd just pack our bags and, and go to europe and probably go to um, thailand or whatever to train but um it's it's hard with the business now and and obviously we we still hear um you know we own our operators we're not just the owners so we're in there every day and and checking on the staff and making sure it all runs quite smoothly but um you know we need to be here most of the time but um yeah it's just doing what we can in order to, to, to get up to the best possible result and that's been exposed to some heat and we can um, implement that in the training which you know we're starting to think about um, and then get her over there we're still not sure yet we haven't booked airfares but get her over there a little bit before the race so she can be exposed to some of that heat um, and if she is and she feels good on the day who knows who, who knows what's possible we'll see um, in October so yeah mm-hmm. yeah I'm excited I'm excited to uh, to see how how it plays out because I think uh, you guys are keeping a lid on it, but I actually think, I think just top ten is is more than achievable. I think top five is very, very, very achievable for Radka, um, in my humble opinion. So I'm excited to see <laughs> how it goes, yeah. whether it's this year or next year. I, I think there's a, yeah. a couple of good years left in in Radka's career. Yeah, I just I just think you just don't overthink it. I mean, people stressing about you know I have to train up hard. I've got to be top ten this and that. But if you just do do all the training. You're confident leading in. You've ticked all the boxes going in. Um, you know you can race well in the heat. Then anything can happen. You don't yep. really have to talk things up and talk how well you're going. You just you just got to do the training. That's the that's the crucial thing. Um, that's what you can control. And um, you go into the race best possibly um, prepared as you can, and um, with the best possible equipment. And away you go. You know. Spoken yeah. like a wise old coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, that, that always calms me down when he just says, just focus, you have done your training and just do what would be trained for. Yeah, as athletes, we overthink everything, you know, and I certainly overthink a lot as well in my career. It's like, what happens if this goes wrong? What happens if this goes wrong? And, and, and you do, like you just stress about stuff you shouldn't really be stressing. You can't control it. So why stress about it? So as long as you do the training, you're ready to go. And you're confident, um, and then off you go. Like you, you get the result, or you don't. If you don't, then you work work on it. You work out what you did wrong um, with your coach, and, and go from there. So I think Radka's at that stage where she she knows what she needs in the prep now, and we just go about it. We do the work, and she turns up in Kona, fit and ready to go. We have to find accommodation, which is not easy now because I qualified so late, and there was like Kona, there was no no Kona for like three years so everyone is racing and everyone has the accommodation booked so that's a big challenge for us at the moment 
Yeah, and you've got to take out a, a mortgage on your home loan just to afford the, the Kona oh, trip, yeah, don't you? Oh, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're going to sell a kidney, I think. Literally. Literally. <laughs> you don't lose it out on the race course. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'll uh, I'll leave you guys there. That was a great chat and, and yeah, both absolute legends and, and, and appreciate you. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, thanks, it was Jack. Great, great to chat to you. Awesome. Have a good day, guys. You too. Thanks, Jack. See ya. See ya. Bye.